Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border. I have spoken about video games lately and the Soviet depictions of video games, and I wish I had known about this one before I made that episode. See, today I have an interview with one of the two lead writers for a video game called Atom, an indie post-apocalyptic RPG, which is, well, Fallout-inspired video game set in the Soviet Union, which plays kind of like first two Fallout with updated graphics and the very Soviet twist. It has excellent storyline. Thanks, dude. This is really good. He's going to tell you all about it, but you should buy it on Good Old Games or Steam. And later on, maybe in some future episode, I'm going to announce a contest where you'll be able to maybe win a copy of the game. Because if you liked old school Fallouts and you wanted something with a bit modern graphics, maybe, and with some quality of life upgrades, such as crafting, and you wanted to get the Soviet experience, because in this setting, in their setting, the bombs fell in 1986, but everything that happened before actually happened, and they done a great deal of research to make it feel very authentic and nice. And, well, if you watch the Chernobyl series, Series, you're also gonna love it because it's all the right notes then yeah he is here with me in Riga and it's amazing to talk with someone who's creative and has used all of our Soviet stuff that we've been talking about so much in this Soviet life and it's refreshing just because I'm a massive Fallout fan and secondly I'm a Soviet history fan and this combines the best of both worlds so I hope that you will enjoy this interview and again please do check out Atom RPG on good old games or Steam it costs just 15 euros or 15 dollars I think your local equivalent whatever but do buy the game please do try it it's excellent and yeah Anton please do tell us about your game then mm, yeah hello I mean you basically just described it you know it's a Fallout inspired game uh, set in the post-soviet union I guess you could say so um, yeah something like that <laughs> well you can go into their history about how you came together because there is a Kickstarter project and everything but I'm more interested into the philosophical aspects because if Fallout deconstructs and looks at the 50s the American dream then your game is very story heavy it's really good in that way and you deconstruct all the soviet memes uh, like communism and people's attitude towards it and how some people think like in this game lenin managed according to some people be a superhero who, who beat mutants and then there are like everyone's living in the capitalist society but looks at communism there's a bunch of references too how did you come to this version of this post-soviet world how did these ideas came to you and what was the mindset about taking all the Soviet memes? Because there's a bunch of characters who are basically concentrated stuff that we all knew that wasn't the Soviet era, but they're just made in the character. And especially Hexagon, which I'll ask you to talk about later. But how did you come to create this rich setting? How did you came to this idea of this specific post-Soviet world? 
I don't know. Basically, just you know, it's written itself. I guess you could say, like, uh, it's just based about on reality around us. No, well, not exactly around us, but reality that was, I guess, in the nineties. I mean, in the early nineties, and I guess to to late nineties. Yeah, and one thing that I like is that if you've read Soviet jokes or heard them on my show, then playing this game, if you've I read political anecdotes, they actually spoil some stuff about some characters in the story. Because, well, there's a character which is basically all of the city of Odessa put into one, with uh, basically Rabinovich being the central dude, and he's a book salesman. And he sends you out on a quest to help him with uh, deal with some book burners. And to attract their attention, he gives you the full, complete works of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. And that's a meta on a super subtle level, because like in the early 90s, especially in Caucasus countries and everywhere, people actually did burn those books because of they didn't have any gas to heat their homes, and those books were seen as like, you know, everyone had them, there were a lot of them, and so a lot of them got burned. So even if you lived there, then it's kind of a meta level, very subtle, so again, have to praise your work. What's your favorite character in the game yourself? What's your favorite quest line? What's your favorite study in the game that you made? Mm, guess like the favorite character? I would say, I don't know, Hexogen probably. <laughs> He's a very entertaining character at least. Hexogen is a possible companion. Think. And uh, well, I don't know how I will explain it is like, He's essentially both a Soviet dissident and a fanatical communist and a monarchist at the same time who thinks he's your father. What's up with it? Because this is Planescape Torment levels of quality story writing, because none of your companions could be called exactly normal, except the dog, but even the dog has personality, because at one point in the game, won't spoil you how, but you can talk to the dog. And he responds by saying, Master, I think you're hallucinating. <laughs> so how did Hexogen came into being? Well, basically, Hexogen is based on a real person, at least his looks. He's based on a writer. Alexander Prohanov, I presume. Yep, yep, yep. The book that's based on is called Gospodin Hexagen or Mr. Hexagen. So yeah, it's uh, based on some mannerisms, I guess, uh, based on Alexander Prokhanov, at least his writing. And also, like, the way he speaks, you know, we just find him a very interesting character on its own, so <laughs> kind of decided to pay an homage to him in the game, in this manner. Yeah, and they're like, there are a bunch of companions, and you'll, if you like Fallout games, you'll see a lot of references to that too and item descriptions and quest lines and everything. One thing that matters to me a lot is that... Well, we spoke about this uh, off the record, but when I was playing Fallout 4, I sometimes did, like, quest choices, which seemed good to me, and then my good companions, by American standards, were, like, berating me for doing something evil. And in this game, I've seen people in the forums, too, they complain about the game is, like, rough and hard and combat's difficult and, and quests that, you know, you have to work for the bandits, which are sort of evil guys, but they're also kind of lawful evil and they fight against something which would be described as chaotic evil. So sometimes the most obvious choice that would seem like the good option isn't, and sometimes doing good things just doesn't matter in the end. Again, won't spoil the quest, but there's a quest in the game which really struck me personally because you you work really hard for it and you go through it and it's all for nothing at the end. And I guess it kind of reveals something about the Soviet life, about how in the end people work hard and everything happened and then a lot of things, even though if you work hard and try hard, there are for nothing. Because how would you comment on that? The idea of if you do the best solution that you think would be the best at this point doesn't lead to the best outcome now and then. Yeah, to some extent, but uh, you know, at the same time it's like, it will sound very pretentious, but like commentary on life. <laughs> on yeah. some level, I mean, you, not always like good actions bring you good results. Kind of had this like morally gray mindset about everything. Like a lot of characters who are like evil on the first side are not actually maybe that evil, and some characters that are maybe good, but you know, they still have some dark side to them. That's the thing, because I wrote my master's thesis about how video games can be art. 
and I mentioned Deus Ex Human Revolution there and the choices that you make during that game. So your game also made me think about it because even though it has a lot of humor in it, it's also very dark. It's kind of like Fallout 2 in the mood, but very Soviet, and it's, there's a lot to think about. There are a lot of choices where, which I really liked about your game, is when you sit down and you kind of want to play a good character, but then you sit down and it's not easy to make those right choices, because I have to give mad props to you, because your talent in, in writing this made me kind of think about what's up. And one of my favorite things from the quest parts is in the Dead City there's a murder plot. Like, late game you get to a place where you have to solve a murder plot, but it turns out that you have been helping along this murder plot basically for most of the game if you've done some side quest in another city. It's, uh, it's uh, like, again, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's the same with some, uh, some other quests. They're tied to the main quest. So in the end, there are some hints that you may be helped. The, I don't know, I wouldn't say like bad guys, quote unquote bad guys. Well, I uh, chose to work with Mr. Tafovic and I quickly understood that he's the bad guy, but then I couldn't do anything about it really. Then again, uh, it's kind of like Witcher mood, I would say, but darker, because Witcher games also put you in the same perspective, because like in all games, which I specifically liked, is the fact that you can refuse money for your work, but then you won't have any money. Sometimes it gives you bonus XP, sometimes it doesn't. The game encourages role-playing in such a way that you have to pick their choices, well, if you're short on rubles, and you will be, especially if you want to buy guns in Krasnozaminle, where prices are crazy and you, you always lack ammunition, because, yeah, this game does not shower you with ammunition, you might have the coolest gun in the game, which is Vintores, by the way, I'm just saying that you should you should get it. But you will probably not have ammo for it, and the game forces you to make harsh choices and harsh realities, and the fact that there are corrupt officials everywhere, the fact that you can't escape it, the fact that you will probably do some morally dubious things, even if you're trying to make it good for everyone. That's really good, and um, that's why I wanted to talk about this toughness thing. You know, we, we take pride here in the Soviet Union about, like, and, and also, this is kind of the meme that's going out there, that we're, we're these tough, strong people. But again, like we spoke before, it's sometimes it's good that you can endure through harsh times, but this thing is that when those harsh times would rather require some action to change them into better times, often people just choose to, you know, do nothing and just ignore just them. Just endure. Yeah. And it plays on it, and I don't know, I do not actually know, uh, I played it as with my own experiences, how do you think people from the United States, do you think they will understand this mindset, and have you gotten some emails maybe about how people are, you know, shocked that... They were trying to be a good character and they're like, oh my god, I'm forced to do this evil thing now. I wouldn't say that we got like a lot of emails about it, but you know, some people commented that, uh, again, as I mentioned, like the moral grayness of everything, like you're not always the good guy, you're not always like, um, even if you want to do the good thing, you're not always doing the good thing, uh, but sometimes you need to be like egoistic or maybe you shouldn't, you know, it's up to you, absolutely, like. Because, because if you try to play, you will get scammed in this game. That does that is by default. People will abuse your kindness and, and the fact that if you try to play a super paladin guy, that might work in kind of the American folklore, but that does not work in the ex-Soviet lands. People are people and everyone has their own flaws, which can be abused or helped with, but every action has its own consequences. And, and that's the most interesting part about your game, why I recommend it so much because it somehow grabs this fallouty feel of this whole gameplay thing and then puts it in this Soviet sphere. And I want to ask you about the research, because you've gone through a lot, through item descriptions and everything. All the stuff that you get in the game, it actually existed, well, for the most part. Yeah, sure, maybe sure. 
maybe some crazy written books because everyone also has developed the, this mythology with the Soviet Union. But how long did the research go? I heard that you went to Pripyat, to Chernobyl, to look at this. Yeah, we were in Pripyat. That was part of our like Kickstarter. Uh, so we said that you know somebody who will donate the most, like we will go to Pripyat with this person. And by the way, Adrian, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> I hope he does. Oh, yeah, hope to see you again. So uh, yeah, so we went to Pripyat, and you know it's a very it's a very interesting place. You know when you go there. If you've never been there, you have kind of your own like perspective, how it looks, how it operates, how it was like. Uh, I don't know if you, for example, if you played like stalker games or something like that, you're like, mm. you think you know how it is. But when you get there, it's like, it's very historical, I guess you could say. Like it's, it all exists in a context of history. You know, it's, it's not just words, like, you, you know, you feel it there. Mm. It's a very interesting feeling, very like sad feeling, but... It's hard to explain, you know. I get this because this is the nostalgia kind of weird feel that I try to explain to people. Oh yeah, I watched Chernobyl series recently too. Uh, probably gonna make a review on what they did wrong. Well, as obviously as they filmed in Ignalina and then in Kiev, uh, some buildings that have plastic windows, but that's fine. <laughs> there are other things. And by the way, interestingly enough, you got this right in the English translation too, which writers of Chernobyl didn't. Because, yeah, in the Soviet Union, we use the term comrade surname all the time, but the most common means of talking to someone was your name and your patronymial, like Viktor Alexeyevich, for example, or something like that. But the problem was for the English writers of the Chernobyl show, uh, it was too difficult for them to implement in the dialogues because then it would just get people confused. So that's why everyone is Comrade Legasov. But in your game, it's done right, and the English translation is excellent, mind you. It's like, because I played it in the English version, because I wanted to check out, you know, because we, we're all used to all this weird English, but it's really good. But about specific Chernobyl and post-apocalyptic mood, again, one thing that I think you got it is like, in the Fallout games at least, in the newer ones, what I don't like there is the fact that 200 years since the war have passed and people are still living in ruins and everything. And there are cities built on ruins in your game, but you also have some living communities which are moved into, say, a medieval castle and build their own stuff like Fogeyevka is the city where it's basically like log buildings which yeah, yeah, people yeah. have built. Yeah. And it's like only 19 years after the war as well. What was the idea here? Because you managed to make it more realistic. Interestingly, uh, so yeah, there's actually interesting enough, like I think I was watching like a documentary about a country in Africa, Libya. And uh, it had a like humongous war back in the 80s, uh, I think through the 90s, uh, civil war. Country was pretty well off by the standards. So, uh, but after that, you know, the, the country is destroyed. Like people living in shanty towns and stuff. And uh, you know, there was like this moment, like a guy was uh, walking around some destroyed hotel in a very beautiful hall, like very beautiful building for tourists. And he was walking, and he was like, "Oh, our beautiful country destroyed." And I felt like, hell, I mean, that's post-apocalyptic, you know, it was a normal country, maybe, you know, with some issues, but still, you know, it was a so-and-so normal country and uh, just uh, the quality of life dipped all the way down. So, yeah, I thought it's post-apocalyptic society isn't exactly like realistically, I guess. It's not like Mad Max or something like that. It's more like, I don't know, a country that had a war in it. Yeah, because in this game, like, you can get a car. If you're playing this game and you can't get a car after completing two major large quests with a lot of waiting involved, don't despair, there is a way how to get a car. It is brutal and involves lots and lots of murder, or in any way it involves lots and lots of murder, in one way or another. But you can get a car, which is an authentic. By the way, you can see this car in Riga Motor Museum. Crazy enough, yeah, it's a, it's a real car. Everything in this game oozes personality and you can tell that you really love the work you put into it. Did you have like any 
fun? Like, you know, what was the most fun thing to make? Was there something that when you started to make this project, you knew that you had to have in the game? Oh, there's actually actually a lot, you know, like with everything, I guess, you know, I'll say about game development. So, sure, you know, yeah. like it's it's there's a lot of fun moments. There's a lot of moments when you're like, oh, man, this is so good. Like, I, I love to do it. Of course, there's a lot of moments of tedium when you just need to do, you know, like technical stuff. I always say like it's 30 percent art. <laughs> well, art again, like I don't want to sound pretentious. <laughs> you should. You should, because like I said, I wrote a master's degree about how video games can be art and I think your game qualifies in every aspect, and it looks pretty, and but what really drew me in is this feeling that, well, I've been mentioned on my show, there's something that we need to get over in this post-Soviet countries. I call it the inner gulag, this mistrust towards other people, because, you know, in the Soviet era they were like, right now we're opening our own, like, KGB reporter bags, and they're kind of contentious because some people were forced into working with that. And this mistrust, this fact that you don't know what to expect with other people and people don't trust you always. There's this kind of mood and it gets it. For me, when I was playing this game, I'm almost at the end. I need to do the final fight, but I want to do some... I hope the final quest isn't timed because I spoke with a guy and then I just want to run around and do some other stuff. But this whole thing, if you like my show, if you listen to my show and you want to learn about this whole mood, and you like Fallout games, then this game is actually quite a good telling if you don't know anything about how life was like in the Soviet Union, then this will probably teach you from the mood and aspect, at least in some sort of philosophical sense. Because the officials are corrupt, things are bad, and everyone's drinking vodka and smoking cigarettes all the time. Cigarettes actually help you craft stuff better. Because you can concentrate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like we're doing now. <laughs> What was the thing that maybe you've missed from the game? And I know that you're making this uh, standoff sequel to it. What was the thing that you wanted to put in but couldn't be done quality enough? What was like left out then? Oh, there's actually a lot. There's actually a lot. You know, sometimes you need to like restrain yourself because, of course, there's some time constraints when you're making something. Quests and characters that didn't get into the game. So I can't name anyone that I would prefer, like <laughs> any one of those unused characters who I like better. By the way, did you know that you have a TV tropes page now? We're, yeah, we're yeah, yeah, I heard about it. <laughs> I read it and, and a lot of things are interesting because, for one, this is obviously written by people from the other side of the ocean. I think that, for the most part, those are American people and they also complain on the forums about the game's difficulty. Did you think in some form about how it would be like to play the game? Was there things that you put in there for, you know, your American audiences and, like, people from the West? Uh, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we put something uh, in the translation. The Russian version, at some points, it, I wouldn't say it's quite different, but, you know, at some points it's different from yeah, the English one. Yeah, I've checked it because, you know, there are... <laughs> untranslatable Soviet jokes, which are yeah. just... This is, by the way, on, on my show I often tell Soviet anecdotes, but then I have to sift through them because some of them are like... You can't tell them in English for them to make sense. Yeah, I specifically remember, like, we had a Cargo 200, you know? Like, I don't want to become Cargo 200, and then we were like, wait, nobody will understand that. Oh, no, no, my listeners will, because I made an Afghanistan war episode where I spoke with the people who lived through that, so yeah. they know what Cargo 200 is. Yeah, but you know, like, but general, it's, it's general yeah. public, I guess, wouldn't understand it, so we'd like, we made it like... I don't want to end up in body bag or something like that. Yep, but this is like, if you if you speak Russian, play it in Russian. If you don't, then translation is good. But if you listen to my show, you'll, you'll find a lot of memes. Like I said, the bookseller is one, Hexagen is another one. One thing that... that and then we're going to go into a bit of a spoiler territory, because this is the question that I wanted to ask, because...
Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The game has literally like almost zero plot holes, except one, because like the main plot of the game is about this mysterious cult, they do some mind controlling, and it's tiny spoilers, but they can't mind control the player character because he's player character and he's like tons of willpower. They can't control his dog because that's his dog, which he saved from the wastes after his old guy died. I don't know if even you can save him, but it's like, I got the dog and the dog loves you. Then there's Hexagen, which is just insane. Then there's uh, one dude who's controlled by a mind worm, which is just a bizarre, where did you, what were you smoking when you came up with the mind worms? But then there's a character called Fidel, who, uh, if you meet him, he wears a Central Asian cap. He's a womanizer, a terrible womanizer, but he's generally more experienced than you. He's kind of the voice of reason, and if he disrespects your evil choices, he kind of comments on that. However, Fidel does not have any special mind condition that would make him impossible to control. So what's your explanation why Fidel can't be mind controlled while he's in the party? Actually, you know, I have a, I guess I have a good answer to that. Okay. Uh, because maybe Fidel is like the most normal of your companions. Well, yeah, he resembles a, your standard companion in other video games and you can get him like really early. Yeah, he's like he's like a good guy in the company. Like, uh, you know, if we look at uh, Dungeons & Dragons perspective, like everybody uh, in the company is some sort of evil character to some extent. Uh, you know, from a from a Dungeons & Dragons, you know, Hexogen, like manual. Hexogen is chaotic neutral. Chaotic neutral, okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Alexander is, I think he is evil. Neutral evil. Neutral yes. evil. Yeah. Because he's super... Uh, we all knew these guys, this one companion that you can get, you meet him at the beginning of the game, and he's another agent of your... Because the plot of the game essentially is like, you get sent out to find your Sixers Plus general who's on a mission somewhere, and then you can like meet this guy who's... Well, you've been doing it normally and stealthily, and you know, maybe not causing a fuss, but then you meet him with that super arrogant guy who invents the stories about how cool he is, and how he's better than you, and he's the big jerk and everything. But then he joins your party because he's like, ah, well, you know, you've done on something. And it's not easy to get him too, by the way. It's, it's, it's quite hard. Your character itself, I think, I don't even know. I try to play it as a good character, but I, I've done something. I, I nuked, I nuked California, which is another easter egg, because you can literally nuke California in this game. And the location is where the glow was in the Fallout games. I didn't know that before, but it's awesome. Uh, you can also nuke someplace in Malaysia, which is like, what? <laughs> I think it's our programmers uh, put it there, uh, this this place. Uh, 
it's like just some, so random. some factor that's i don't know but should i, I don't and, know exactly. and then you can nuke bethesda but the one in uk but and that's like everyone gave a collective thumbs up <laughs> i think it's going to be important in the ending but i'm not sure but uh, yeah hexagen was super happy that i knew the capitalists fiddle was like oh my god did you know what, what you were doing but i figured my character really was like i have no clue but this computer looks shiny let us press some buttons. Even though I have high intelligence, my I play my character as a super snarky dude because you can pick all the glorious uh, Latin answers and then you can use communism to treat someone of a drug addiction in the game. And uh, demonic possession also. Oh yeah, I did that. In the name of of, of the pro, <laughs> I, I actually I want to I want to do a second run in the game because oh it's it's so long it's gonna take a lot of time. But at one point I'm gonna sit down and make a possessed playthrough, even though. If you're being possessed, does terrible, terrible things to your statistics, but whatever. But you, you know, in some dialects you have like special, yeah. special answers for that. One thing though is that you not only did put in speaking rats, you made them quite a lot of them. I guess you really like the king rat from Fallout 2 games. Because there's a rat king and a rat emperor and more talking rats who get smarter because they're eating irradiated human brains. I think it's mixed. Like first uh, we made like an Easter egg with again spoiler alert, Easter egg revolving around um, this ballet the Nutcracker. So and we put like a special rat in there again like related to this uh, ballet by Tchaikovsky. Uh, and then and then we decided kind of you know what we need to expand on this idea. So. Yeah, because this game has a crazy mushroom cult, rats who worship themselves, crazy pagans, crazy devil worshippers, alcoholics, tons of gangsters. Uh, one thing that I would recommend, by the way, if you play the game uh, just before you do, in the first town that you go, go check the bookcases. You'll find a book about the prison slang. Don't steal it, just use use on it. It's super important that you don't steal it, otherwise you'll probably be uh, mauled to death by everyone. But you can learn prison slang in the game and use it as an actual speech option. And it's not even always a good speech option, because normally, you know, you get highlighted speech options in other games, which are like, oh yeah, this is obviously the best choice. But if you pick that one, that got me the couple of fights, which is like, oh... <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you talk like that, like, some people will get mad about it. Yeah. There's a thing, like, the game is brutal, the game is punishing. It is also very realistic for all of us who lived here in this... Because I checked the team and... Of all the Soviet depictions in video games, I think this is... This is the one where you actually can learn something if you didn't know about it. Because, yeah, this is how people operated back then, and in this post-apocalyptic world, this... Previous world has turned into some sort of like myth and legend and did it take a lot of time for you to write all this because this whole immense amount of dialogue and options and everything this whole thing how long did it take you guys because it was you and one other dude apparently who wrote this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. how long did it take you to get through this massive beast of a, of a thing so we basically had like milestones every month and uh, every month we we said like okay we're gonna write I don't know, like 30 characters for example and uh, make kind of like 15 quests or something like that so and mm. you know that's how we how we went like for a month took a month oh a brutal crunching session I yeah 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 you know but you know without crunch <laughs> what can you do about it one location that struck me the most was uh, the circus it's where mutants live and mutants in this game are unlike fallout games they're just you know that mutants and they have different mutations and there's a place where like it's a freak show who live in a crashed plane 
and they have their own bizarre quests that are like... I, I don't know how one does come up with a person with a beak and then a person that can lay fertilized human eggs and then a general secretary in the bunker who's also a mutant. Oh, spoilers, I suppose, but you know... It, spoilers are lowered. It, it, it'll, it'll make sense when you get to it. You have to find the general secretary first anyways, which is quite late in the game. You'll probably forget about this. Do play the game, though. But sometimes your choices were so creative and what I wanted to ask here is that the game has a lot of purely batshit insane stuff in it. Then there's a lot of funny stuff. It's like, oh, I get this reference. And then there's a lot of really dark things, like things that make you think about, oh my God, if this had happened in real life, that would be horrific. And it strikes a balance that it is like, that's perfectly just like a sort of joke, I think. But how did you manage to put it there, you have to restrain yourself sometimes, because I presume that at some point you wanted to make something funny, but then you had to choose to make it like more serious. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's like, again, like I said about life, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, like, like life has a lot of, a lot of layers. You know, there's there's some dark times, there's some funny, bizarre times, and sometimes it's, you know, just batshit crazy, so, you know, to a certain extent. Did you maybe think about making some voiced characters for the game too at some point because the, right now there are no voiced characters hey if you ever need need some voice doing voice work being done call me up but like i know it, it takes a lot of time and effort but but did you think about making some important characters and npcs voiced yeah 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 we, we were thinking about it and we are thinking about it uh, uh if we speak about trudograd like add-on for the game uh, but, uh, you know, in Atom, original Atom, it was just hard. It was so much character, so much uh, text. Uh, it would take a lot of time, a lot of money, I guess you could say. So, yeah, 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 we decided against it. And now I want to ask you about the main quest. Uh, see, the main quest is deep and interesting and uh, has a lot of weird twists, but I wanted to talk about and ask you about the main character. Like, he has no background, he's just a member of this Atom, which is local Brotherhood of Steel, just more patriotic in the sense of the Soviet Union, but like, the remnants trying to rebuild society. He has no background there. Did you, did you leave it intentional? Did you wanted the players to make their own studies from behind the background of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the idea was to make a blank slate character, like, uh, you know, a classic RPG character. And uh, there's like a biography. Uh, you can write your own biography when you create your character. There's, uh, I guess you could say, canon biography, where they say that you're a young member of Adam team, da 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 da, da. But, uh, I mean, you can always delete it and just write your own story. The only thing that stays the same is that you're a member of Adam. And another thing that I want to ask you is like, could you please explain approximately where uh, the game is located on the map? Because one of the mountain pass of Vos is obviously southern, like closer to Georgia. And then there's this big city, which is on an island, which is not Moscow, because Moscow is not an island, but it could be anything. But where approximately the game map is located in Russia? Or not in Russia, maybe in the Soviet Union, because... Well. So, there are some, I guess you could say, hints uh, where it's located, but uh, again, we decided to make it ambiguous, it's, it's in southern USSR, but uh, for us, like, we in the team know that the location is uh, Krasnodar Krai, and the uh, Republic of Adige in uh, today's Russia, and, you know, Soviet Union back then. Sadly enough, there's massive forest fires right now in Krasnodarsky Krai, too, which is uh, unlucky, I suppose. Which is one place of Russia which I haven't visited too, by the way, which is interesting. But in total, that is Adam RPG. Play the game, have fun, and if you have any questions, do let us know. 
And next time we'll be talking about, about Stalin and whatever he was doing, because I finally want to get through my Stalin episodes. But yeah, basically, if you want to get Adam RPG for free, we talked about this, there's going to be a little nice little contest here. And I think that... We used to have this contest with the Soviet books, but right now, as it's a post-apocalyptic RPG game, I want you to send us and email us, kind of, you guys probably have some ruined factories or some weird-looking buildings, like something that would do well in a post-Soviet post-apocalyptic setting, and if you have anything like old abandoned factories and whatever, go there and take a selfie with some piece of paper that says Atom, and, you know, mail it to us, and then I'll send them to the team, and then they'll look at the best post-apocalyptic style picture and, and then we'll send you the one free Atom game. But for all of you, I highly recommend you buy the game. It's only $15, it's nothing for you guys. And <laughs> buy it and do it and just go exploring because one thing that Adam does well is exploring abandoned buildings. And we have a lot of, we have a huge culture here uh, exploring abandoned Soviet stuff. We have a civil museum as well. So if you have something abandoned and cool and creepy looking in your area, make a selfie with a, some piece of paper that says Atom on it. If you dress up, that's bonus points. If you make it cooler, that's even more bonus points. Mail it to us, and then, you know, I guess we'll give them a month of time. I guess, uh, I'll, I guess I'll give you guys time until the you know, end of September. And then send it, and you might win an Atom RPG game. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. Next time we're back in the historical episodes, and I'm really happy to be here with you, Anton. We're recording in a very Soviet, Soviet atmosphere, and, well, make Trudogad as awesome as Atom was, and good luck on your work. And if there's something you want to tell to our, like, mostly Western audience, then feel free. Yeah, I mean, guys, play the games. Don't fear to explore, you know, like, different games, and, uh, you know, have a great life, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Okay, guys. До свидания, товарищи. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void.